Welcome everyone to Bible Quest, the Tuesday afternoon edition. Too much isolation, that's my problem. I gotta get out more often. <laughs> uh, glad to see all of you fellow isolationists with us today in our audience. Um, if you're coming in on the Zoom app, and many of you are, go ahead and use the Q&A box or the chat window thing and give us some of your comments. If you want to come in using your audio, you can do that. Click on the hand icon and wave your hand. You want to come in and give us, use your computer audio to, to ask the question audibly or texting. If you're coming in and you're watching the program on uh, the Facebook page, uh, please also use the text box there as we go through our discussion today. We hope you'll join us. Let me bring in the panelists. Stephen, how are you doing? Good to see you. I'm doing you. well, Drew. Good to see you too. How are y'all doing? Good. I'm doing good. Jonathan, how are you be? Well, making it through isolation just like everybody else, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you know what I heard? I was listening to the news this morning, and uh, we're all Pennsylvanians, and Pennsylvania governor said that he's going to be lifting that, opening up parts of the uh, the economy or whatever you want to call it on May 8th, I believe. Did you hear that, guys? Yeah, I heard about that. I hope that that will, will go well. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I hope it does, too. And now let's not forget our program director, Scott. Scott, are you there? I don't see your video. I don't see your audio or hear your video. Scott, where are you? Uh-oh. There he is. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you all today? Doing good. Doing good. Okay, so Stephen's got some something he wants to uh, share with us today. Stephen, why don't you just go ahead and, and take it over? Sure. So um, one of my favorite studies to do is the book of Psalms. And we're going to look today at Psalm 107, uh, which is a psalm that um, is about different scenarios that the Lord delivers us from. And it's kind of cool when you look at it because there's some structure to it. There's some repetition in it. Um, And so let's uh, let's look at Psalm 107 and... um, Let's read verses one through three, and we'll just kind of discuss it as we go along. Um, And uh, Jonathan, would you mind reading Psalm 107, uh, one through three? Yep. So it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in in from the lands, from the east and from the west, and from the north and from the south. Okay. Let me share my screen here real quick. I'll get uh, just a little outline up here of Psalm 107. So from the beginning of the psalm, what we're going to see is one of the main themes of this psalm is if you have been redeemed by God, tell other people about that. Uh, God takes care of us in so many ways. And when we start to look back at our own past, wow, it, it blows us away if we take the time to count our many blessings one by one. And then to give thanks to God for those things. And so that's really what this psalm is going to be about. Give thanks to the Lord. He's good. His steadfast love endures forever. Um, That word for steadfast love, what do some of y'all's translations have there in verse 1? I'm reading from the ESV. It says, his steadfast love endures forever. What what other translations do we have on that? Yeah, I have the same thing in the ESV. All right, Scott, what does yours have? For his loving kindness endures forever. Yeah, so some translations will say loving kindness, steadfast love, uh, his mercies endure forever. But this word is a really cool word in the Old Testament. We won't take time to do a whole word study right now. 
but it has to do with God's covenant faithfulness that he's made promises and he's going to show his love by being true to those promises. And we're going to see that throughout Israel's history. Um, in fact, the last two Psalms in the book of Psalms, Psalm 105 is a historical Psalm about how faithful God has been. Psalm 106 is another historical Psalm. that looks at the same events, but from the perspective of Israel's unfaithfulness. And now Psalm 107 is going to tell us about how God delivers his people out of all these different circumstances, and they should give thanks to him for his deliverance. So let's read um, the next section here. We're going to see four different scenarios. And uh, let's read the first one. Um, I have a question for you, Stephen, before you... Yeah, sure. We often read the word redeemed. Uh, We know, we, we understand what redeemed means in the New Testament, right? Under the covenant of Christ. What does redeeming mean here? For the old, for the Jew under the old covenant. Yeah. So redeeming is the idea of buying something back, uh, the idea of restoring something. And so it's similar to the idea of deliverance, similar to the idea of we've been in a horrible situation and now the Lord has redeemed us. He's, he's bought us. He's done something for us is the idea. And so for us, we're looking at this as an example of how it applies for us today. But in that situation under them, they also are recognizing he redeemed them from their current troubles. Are you saying? Yeah, that's right. So let's look at the first situation here. Psalm 107. Uh, would one of your brothers read verses 4 down through verse 9? Some wandered in the desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So what we're going to see is kind of a pattern in each of these problems. We're going to see the problem at the very beginning. Then we're going to see like what it says in verse six, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. That's going to come up. That exact verse is going to come up three more times in this Psalm. And then it'll say like how he delivered them. And then in verse eight, it's going to be a call for Thanksgiving. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love or his loving kindness or his mercies. That's our word that we talked about in verse one and his wondrous works to the children of man. So scenario one, what's the problem in verses four through nine in this first scenario? What is the problem they're facing? Yeah. The people, some of them are unable to find shelter. They're unable to find a city. They're kind of just wandering in a wasteland. um, Yeah. Uh, you know, no water, no food, no provision for life. Yeah, it's a terrible thing when you can't find civilization and you can't find food and water to sustain you. And so this is wandering in the desert. Um, This might refer to the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. That's certainly uh, where God provided water from the rock, the manna. Um, He took care of his people in the desert. This may also refer to the years of captivity where they've been away from Jerusalem, away from the city of God, 
Back in verse three, when we're reading in the introduction, it says that he gathered them from the lands, from the north, the south, east, and the west. That may be a reference to the return from captivity. And there's a real sense in which that too was a wandering in the desert, not a literal desert, but a, a spiritual desert that they were cast out of God's land and have been kind of in this wandering again. And now God has brought them home when they cried out to him. But really, isn't this the situation that we find ourselves in sometimes is that we find ourselves in a spiritual desert of sorts. Um, this can happen in all sorts of ways in our life. What are some ways that we might find ourselves in a spiritual desert? I think about one, um, one of the main stories that comes to my mind when you think about that is Elijah. Um, after Elijah kind of has his victory on Mount Carmel over the prophets of Baal, um, he's driven into the wilderness or rather flees into the wilderness from Jezebel um, and finds himself isolated, alone. Uh, he makes a statement to God, I, only I am left. Um, and so when uh, usually, well, not usually, but sometimes on the heels of a victory or a, or a triumph, um, we can feel um, depressed, down, separated from people, uh, maybe especially now being separated right. from people in our houses. We don't see each other, encourage each other in the same ways. Um, that we were before and it kind of seems like what's the point like just take me now um uh, you know i'm the only one that's left um and so just isolation in general can make us feel like that yeah for sure so we're cut off from other christians uh, i think about just sometimes our own sin can leave us feeling far from god and we feel like we're in a desert that there's just no relief from the temptation or from whatever it is um that can be kind of the spiritual desert that we're in um, other ideas on that, being in a spiritual desert. I will say when it says in verse five, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Um, Jesus will talk about blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That when we're hungry, when we're in a season of life where we realize our need spiritually, that's a good thing. And it causes us to turn to God. And it says in verse seven, he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. And then in verse nine, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And when we get to Jesus in the New Testament, how is Jesus described as far as it relates to being hungry and thirsty in the wilderness? What are some of the descriptions of Jesus in the New Testament? He's the bread of life. Yeah, he is the living bread. He's the living water. Um, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, all of these things, really, all of this psalm is going to point us to Jesus as the way that God rescues us. Mm -hmm. Something else that, that I noticed in this section, it talks about um, this city. They're, they're looking for a city. God leads them to a city, um, and, and they reach that city to dwell in. Uh, another way I think maybe we can be finding ourselves in the wilderness, wandering in the wilderness, is just comparing life here on earth compared to the life that we want to have and, and being with God. And that same type of idea shows up in Hebrews. Um, after it mentions some of the people in Hebrews chapter 11, um, the first people like Abel, uh, Enoch, uh, Abraham, uh, and those that were sojourners walking through the earth. Um, and in verse 13, it says, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And then in verse 16, it says, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
Um, and so we can sometimes, I mean, when you see the futility of the world and just not just the evil in the world, but, but disaster in the world, hardships that happen in the world, um, it can kind of feel like you're wandering around in a desert. And like what, like what Paul says, um, you know, I'm torn between the two in Philippians, whether to remain here in the flesh and be helpful for you or to go and be with the Lord, which is far better uh, in that city that's being prepared. Yeah, that's a great connection. You said that was Hebrews 11. Which verses were you reading? Uh, Hebrews 11, I think 13 through 16. Yeah, yeah, 13 through 16. That's a great connection to make there. Thanks, Jonathan. What other observations do y'all have through this first scenario that this psalm describes? Scott? This, uh, you already tied it into Matthew 5 there about those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And the second part of that being, for they will be filled. And you compare that with the book of Ecclesiastes. And there's just a lot of things that people pursue that they think will be filling, but are not. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's interesting is in the Old Testament, when God led them into the wilderness, it says that he let them hunger so that they might learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so it's a good thing when God lets us run empty when we're trusting in things of the world, because um, that, that hunger is meant to drive us to him. And that's exactly what happens here. They cried to the Lord in their distress, and he delivered them. Uh, he satisfies the longing soul, the hungry soul he fills with good things. Um, so I love, I love that about this. Well, let's look at the, uh, are, Drew, are you uh, making a comment? You're muted, I think. Oh, yeah. Sorry about there that. There you go. <laughs> uh, in, uh, in Luke 1, uh, Mary is singing a praise uh, because she's about, she was, you know, she's going to have give birth to Jesus. And in verse 53, I never realized before until I saw the connection here 53 says he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty yeah that's really similar what verse was that again uh luke 1 53 nice yeah and here she is praising god for what she's just received and then making that statement how he fills the hungry with good things yeah amen well, uh, let's look at the next scenario here. Um, let's do verses 10 through 16. I can, can read that here. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. So what's the problem in this second scenario? What's the affliction they're facing? Well, they're in bondage. They're slaves. Um, they're they're in a prison. Is kind of the imagery that's used in in verse ten. Prisoners afflicted in irons. Yep, that's exactly right. You see chains and iron and being prisoners. 
Um, they're, they're, this, Steve, this is also uh, close to death because it talks, my version says, in the, in the shadow of death. Yeah, that's right. Which reminds us of Psalm 23, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's almost like, you know, death is so close that its shadow is cast over me. Um, that, yeah, they're close to death in their affliction and imprisonment. But that's the second scenario we find with the people, which again, this could refer back to the time they were in Egypt and were oppressed and, and enslaved by the Egyptians. It could refer to the imprisonment that maybe the Lord has just let them out of, that uh, they've been in, in captivity to Babylon for 70 years. But whatever captivity it is, this is uh, the situation that many of us find ourselves in, literally or figuratively. Um, this is where God sees us in our imprisonment, that there's someone or something that has control of us. And we cry out to God. Notice, again, the, the two verses that are kind of our two choruses in this song. Uh, verse 13, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Then verse 15, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Uh, so this is a, this is powerful to think about. Uh, we got a comment come in from uh, Joe Manganello said uh, when we have difficult decisions. Uh, it reminds me of Hagar and Ishmael, and that was for the first section. So yeah, when we're in uh, in the wilderness, so to speak, um, kind of like Hagar and Ishmael found found themselves there, and the Lord heard uh, Hagar's prayer and uh, took care of them even when they were in a, a difficult situation. So that's a good connection as well. What are the thoughts do y'all have on this second section? What ways might we end might, might we end up in captivity or oppression? Well, the whole what idea. Thinking? What were you thinking there, Rose Stephen? Or go ahead, Scott. The whole idea of bonds of affliction because they rebelled uh, in John six. Jesus, when he said, "You know the truth, the truth make you free," and they said, "We've never been in bondage," and Jesus pointed out. Everybody who's in sin is in bondage to sin. Yes. And in the first situation where they're wandering in the desert, it doesn't say why they were wandering. In the second scenario, it specifically says, because of verse 11, they had rebelled against the words of God. And man, sin is often described as slavery. There in John 6, I also think about Romans chapter 6, that talks about us being slaves to sin and that's the nature of what Satan promises is, Oh, he promises you freedom, but then we become slaves. Which reminds me of second Peter chapter two, where it talks about the false teachers. They promise other people freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption is sin. And we start going down that path. And then we try to get out. We realize what a strong hold it has on us and how difficult it is to give up sin, especially habitual, addictive sin that can just get a hold of our life and be very difficult to, to, get, to get rid of. Um, and here, God is the one who, I love the way it describes it. Uh, in verse 14, he bursts their bonds apart. In verse 16, he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. You just picture almost God walking into the prison and just busting down the doors and ripping the, the bars off. It's a little bit like the song Christ Arose uh, and describing Christ coming out of the grave. You know, he tore the bars away 
Um, that picture of liberty from death is a beautiful picture. What other thoughts or comments do y'all have on this second scenario? Thinking about that imagery of, of tearing down uh, or, or, or breaking apart reminds me uh, a little bit where Paul's describing in Ephesians chapter 2 um, when he comes and uh, Jesus Christ tears down the wall of hostility and reconciles us. Uh, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles being reconciled, but also us being reconciled to God uh, in that relationship, tearing down the wall. Um, and that's, that's kind of, you know, what, what we're, we're prisoned, uh, what we're imprisoned from, we're imprisoned from a relationship with God, um, when we're tied up in sin, caught in sin. Um, there's a, like a really simple graphic. I think Scott does it sometimes where in the beginning, uh, you have God and he made man and they're together, but then sin gets in the way in the middle of that. Uh, and what Christ allowed to happen through his death uh, and his sacrifice is for sin to be taken out of the picture, to be torn down that separating wall of hostility between God and man, as long as we uh, are found, you know, in his blood and his death and, and continue walking in the light. Yeah. Amen. I got uh, a, little, a little bit of a connection. I don't know if I'm going overboard, but in that where it says in um well, they re- in verse 11, they rebelled against the words, right, of God, spurned the counsel of Most High. So he bowed their, their hearts down with hard labor, and that's when they fell down with none to help. And men's when they cried out, right? It reminds me of the uh, the, the son that left the, the father uh, and wanted to spend everything he had and wanted his inheritance now. Where does he go? He leaves the father, leaves his father, goes out, wastes all his money in, in uh, sinful living and just waste everything. And he ends up where? With the pigs. Eating with the pigs. And then he wakes up like, what am I doing here? And that's the impression here. Sometimes we have to hit that bottom and then realize we can't do it on our own. we got, we got to ask for help here. And first one you need to go to is, is God our Father. And he's look at that next verse. They cried to the Lord to their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He wants us to come. He's not going to make us. He wants us to come. We have to ask him. Yeah, that's a great point, Drew, in thinking about uh, like they have nobody else to lean on. They hit rock bottom, and that's a great connection because the turning point for the prodigal son is in Luke 15, 16, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. And that's what happens to, to these people as well. They fell down with none to help. And so they called to the Lord and he helped them. They were probably his friends when he was spending all of his money though. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he has plenty of help when uh, he has money to help them with. So, Yeah. Uh, Karen uh, came in with a question here. She said, I-, I thought of bondage as being unequally yoked to a person or a situation. Um, and it is true that sometimes we can get ourselves in captivity, so to speak, um, by becoming sinfully involved with a person or a situation. And that really can become a, a type of slavery. And we have to be willing to turn to the Lord. And sometimes that means that we have to be willing to get out of a sinful relationship or a sinful situation that we've become yoked to in order to, to be free. I mean, in that passage in second Corinthians six, he says, come out from their midst and be separate. Um, and God will come and dwell with us. Um, so it's not just God rescuing us, but God telling us what we need to do to be rescued. 
Yeah, and that kind of follows with the uh, the imagery um, PJ brings up in, in Acts 12, where Peter is, is freed from prison. He's in prison in chains between two guards, uh, and the angel comes and, and tells him to get up and go out. Um, it, you know, it's maybe a kind of crude example of what you said, uh, uh, Stephen, but, you know, if Peter... He's been freed from from the bonds, and but he's still standing there in the prison. If he doesn't heed what the angel says and walk out of the prison, he's still stuck there. So, <laughs> so we're freed and given the way out, but we still have to to leave. Yeah, that's right. Let's look at the next scenario here. Um, any other comments on that second one before we move on? All right, uh, Scott, would you mind reading for us uh, seventeen through twenty-two? Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhors all manner of good. They draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto Jehovah in their trouble, and he saves them out of their distresses. He sends his word and heals them and delivers them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise Jehovah for his loving kindness and for his wonderful works to the children of men and let them offer the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with singing. And that one really reminds me of the prodigal son already mentioned. Yeah, that's right. This, this third scenario um, is a little harder to put an exact <laughs> problem on, but how would you define the problem described in this section, the third scenario? What we reap, what we sow, Galatians. Uh, and like, uh, let's take sexually in Proverbs 5. Stay away from the wicked woman. This is where that goes. Uh, chapter 6. Uh, stay away. You know, this is what her husband's going to do to you when he catches you. You know, there's uh, chapter 7 again. Uh, and so you just have, and that's just one sin. Then in Proverbs, what, 23, you have the consequences brought upon the drunkard. And, you know, he wakes and has wounds without cause. He doesn't even remember, you know, where he took the beating from. Uh, but in all sorts of ways, just foolish behavior gets us in really, really bad places like the prodigal son. Yeah. I think dealing with the, the that first uh, uh, seventeen, some were fools through their sinful ways. You're foolish. Uh, Proverbs uh, one seven says, "Fear the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge." But the fool despises wisdom and instruction. In other words, sometimes you can think of it backwards. But the proper way to think of it is that if you're despising, you know what? You don't want anything to do. Don't don't tell me the truth. Don't teach it. I don't want to know anything. Don't give me any instruction. Well, that's acting and being foolish. And that's what's going on here. Some were fools through their sinful ways. They just didn't want to know the rightful ways, their iniquities, uh, because of their iniquities, and they suffered those afflictions. Yes. And, you know, this is, a, a, in some ways, a tougher prison to be in because sometimes we're in situations that are hard because of no fault of our own that we're just confused, we're in a hard place, or other people are oppressing us. But here, this is the clearest section where the reason we're in trouble is because we've been a knucklehead. We've been stupid, we have not listened to God, and we are completely responsible for our own affliction. I got myself in this mess. 
And it's amazing that even here, it could have said, and they cried out to God and said, God, God said, no, you, you messed it up on this one. You're on your own. But that's not what it says, is even when we have made a mess of our life, it says in verse 21, or verse 19, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And what I think is interesting is how he delivers them in verse 20. He sent out his word and healed them. And what we need when we've been foolish is we need the word of God. We need his wisdom. We need him to come in and show us how we've been foolish and then to follow that word. Um, that's one of the greatest blessings God has given us is his word to guide us out of the pit that we've dug for ourselves. And so I think that's really interesting that the way he heals us sometimes is by teaching us by his word. And when we listen to that and respond to that, we'll be able to get out of the, the, the pit that we've dug for ourselves. Other thoughts or comments on that third scenario? Yeah. The, uh, you, you talk about it, it's the one that we dig for ourselves. And I think oftentimes that's the worst one. Because you can think of people like Joseph. He's thrown in a pit. He's delivered over to a caravan and sold as a slave. He's sold into slavery. He's falsely accused, thrown into prison. But that doesn't stop Joseph from being who Joseph needs to be. Paul, you know, thrown in prison in Caesarea for two years, appeals to Rome, goes to Rome as a prisoner for two more years there and eventually will be uh, put to death, uh, apparently after a release and then a, a re-arrest. Uh, but you think about how many people are in the prison that they have created for themselves. You think about people with addictive behaviors, destructive habits, that it's like in Proverbs 1, the, 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 the criminals there who they're lying in wait for their own blood. They're really, the victims of their own stupid behavior. And so Jonathan has uh, uh, ready for a comment. I'm gonna read one verse and then we'll go to Jonathan. Titus three, good reminder for us all. Uh, Paul says, this is something we need to remember. For we also were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Jonathan. Uh, just really quickly, a couple of comments. Um, Lori um, points out um, already, and we haven't even got to the fourth scenario, but I think we can already see this. Uh, it seems like God will help us out of anything if we humble ourselves and see the truth of who we are and who he is, which I think is absolutely true. Uh, amen to that. He's, he's willing to help us as long as we acknowledge that we need his help. Uh, and that kind of seems like maybe what's not happening at the beginning of this scenario. Um, it, maybe in verse 18, they loathed any kind of food uh, and, and they drew near to the gates of death. It seems like they're almost maybe refusing help for a period of time until there's really dire need, um, which is just a foolish action. Um, and then there's another question uh, that came in. Uh, is this scenario uh, similar? Is this like Romans chapter seven? Um, when do you guys want to talk about that, answer that quickly? Well, Romans 7, uh, this really gets into a whole thing. I think we've done uh, actually a whole episode on Romans 7 a while back. Um, if you go back to BibleQuest.tv, I don't remember which episode it is. Drew, you might be able to look it up um, but to find our, dis our full discussion on Romans 7. But Romans 7, 
I think we can relate to the language of it a lot because we, we feel like wretched man that I am, you know, I want to do good, but I do bad. But in the context of Romans, it seems like Romans seven is the man who is trying to keep the law without grace. He's trying to uh, be justified by law keeping. And that's what lands him in that scenario. So I don't know if it's so much the idea of, I don't think that it's Paul's talking about his own addiction to sin. I don't think that's what Romans seven is talking about, but there's a real sense in which Jesus is also the solution to Romans seven. If we're trying to be justified by law, if we're, if we're in a legalistic mindset, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. And that leads into Romans eight that talks about how the spirit uh, of the law of Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. And so there is this image of liberation uh, from our bondage and oppression and from our own foolishness. Um, and so Jesus is still the solution to that. Um, I think we have to be careful how we think about Romans 7, but that's another scenario to add to the list of slavery that Jesus delivers us from. Scott? And Romans 7 does describe somebody in captivity. You know, if you go through in the verse 20s there, early 20s, it talks about that he's a captain of sin. Wretched man who I am, who shall deliver me? And the answer is Jesus. And, and we see that kind of deliverance in, in chapter 8. So, the, yeah, important. Yeah, Steve, you're right. We did a program on the spiritual versus the things of law, Romans, covering Romans 7 and also Romans 8. We did that a while ago. But if you scroll down at BibleQuest.tv, go to the podcasts uh, recording page and you scroll down towards the middle further down the page you find yeah. it. what's the title of that episode it's called spiritual versus things of law okay very good well i just want to make sure that if viewers wanted to catch that other conversation with a fuller discussion of romans 7 mm -hmm. um it's it's back there well let's look at the fourth scenario here um and uh uh, would one of you brothers read that for us? Verses 23 down through verse 32. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, where he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men in the and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He, he made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in, in the assembly of the elders. So... This is a more familiar picture from the Bible for us. Uh, what is the problem in scenario number four? It's a storm. Yeah, it's a storm, storm at sea. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's one thing to be on land and have a storm. It's yeah. another thing to be on the ocean uh, when you got a storm coming up. And so yeah. it describes... Yeah, so it describes the Lord as the one who is showing his power in the storm at sea. And the waves are just, it says, uh, verse 26, the waves like mount up to heaven. They go down to the depths so much that even these sailors 
are scared to death at uh, what's going on. And of course, what scenario in the New Testament does this remind us of? The Lord calming the sea. Yeah, and with experienced fishermen in the boat. Lord, do you not care that we're perishing um, and being just scared to death? They think they're about to die. And so we see here that the Lord is the one who raises up the storm. And then the Lord is the one who calms the storm. Now, this is not true necessarily of every storm in our life. But there are times where the Lord uses the storms in this world to bring us to our knees. And there's a sense in which God is already helping them by allowing them to go through the storm to get them to turn to him. And then uh, he stills the storm when they cry out to him. Jonathan? I think that's an interesting point um, to make. It shows up a lot, actually, in the prophets. Um, the Really, kind of the first chapter of, um, of Haggai is about that, about God kind of sending um, famine or difficulty to get the people of Israel to turn back to him to realize their ways and what they've been doing. There's also a lengthy section in Amos, in Amos chapter 4, where God goes through and talks about, um, I, I withheld the rain from you. Uh, I sent a famine to you. I struck you with blight and mildew. I sent pestilence among uh, you and carried you away into captivity. I overthrew some of you. And after all of those scenarios, it says, yet you did not return to me, <laughs> says the Lord. Um, and so I think we need to be careful in, in maybe speculating like, oh, th- this is God doing this. This is why this is so hard. This is why this is so difficult. Um, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But certainly we can realize from the scriptures, God does use different situations to open our eyes and get, him, get us to come back to him. Uh, Stephen, I don't know if this, uh, this question came in. I don't know if it was referring to this section or the previous one. It says, how do you have the, ment- the mentality of liberty from sin in your thoughts? Yeah, that, I think that may have come in after our discussion of Romans 7. Um, okay. And it's true that there's times where even in our thought life, sin can have a, a grip on us. But as with each of these scenarios we're talking about in Psalm 107, we've got to turn to the Lord with our thoughts. We've got to learn to quickly turn away from the sinful thoughts and let every thought be something that we're offering to God. Um, and that's important with something physical. It's also important with mental things. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talked about the importance of getting to the heart that don't just not kill your brother. Obviously, don't kill him. But don't hate him in your heart. Don't just not commit adultery with a woman, but don't lust after her in your heart. And when, if we're looking for the Lord's deliverance, we need to be ready to take radical measures, not just outwardly, but inwardly, one of the ways that God's word teaches us is not to covet, not to hate, not to let sin start in our hearts. But, oh, as long as I don't do something about it, then it's not a big deal. No, Jesus over and over addresses the, the issue of the heart. Well, if he's asking us then to control that, that means we can control our thoughts. Yeah, that's right. And we'll say there's sometimes where temptation and thoughts feels like being in a storm at sea. Like you just don't get a break from it. It's back and forth and back and forth. And we've got to trust in the Lord, um, just like the disciples did. You know, Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? And he can help us in whatever storm that we find ourselves in. Scott, did you have a, qu- uh, a comment about the storm at sea a second ago? Well, just uh, I'm reminded of the sailors in the book of Job. Yeah. 
and here I get the impression that it says there they went down to the sea in ships doing doing business on the great water. So they're going about their daily activities, what they commonly would do, not expecting any catastrophes, doing you know what they normally do every day. Yeah, that's right. And so it says that they uh, were at their wits' end, is the ESV of verse 27. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. It's interesting, again, I'll put these verses up here. Verse 6, verse 13, verse 19, verse 28 are just almost identical. They cried to the Lord. They cried to Yahweh, and he delivered them. And I love how it talks about him stilling the storm here, because, again, we're just so reminded of Jesus. Uh, Verse 29, he made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And that's the verse that verse 8, verse 15, 21, 31 are all virtually the same. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. God rescues us, not just so that we can know that God saves, but so that we will tell other people that God saves. When God gets us out of a tough situation or answers our prayers, we need to be quick to tell people about that. I'm mindful of the guy that Jesus healed of the legion of demons, and he begs Jesus to follow him. And Jesus says, no, go home and tell your friends what great things that God has done for you. And that's what this psalm is all about, is if we're thankful for God's deliverance, let's be telling people, let's be praising God for that and doing it in the congregation, so to speak, doing it in in a group of people so that other people will see that God hears and God answers. I know we're almost out of time here. Let's do read the end of the psalm together. Um, picking up in verse 33, Psalm 107, 33. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he lifts up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. So here at the end, it just talks about what God does. He can turn an oasis into a desert like that. If people are evil and people turn away from God, he can take away all the prosperity in an instant. But if the needy turn to him, he can turn a desert into an oasis. I mean, lots of, there's just lots of reversal that happens in this last section that he can take nothing and turn it into everything. He can take everything and turn it into nothing. And so the last verse of this psalm is the conclusion, it says, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So we end where we began the psalm where it says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he's good for his steadfast love endures forever. 
And in each of those choruses, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love four times. And now at the end, it says, if you're wise, think about this. Think about how God has delivered those who cried out to him and consider the steadfast love of the Lord. What other thoughts or comments do y'all have on this psalm? I was thinking of when we are going through the, 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 the Jew, uh, the, the disciples following Jesus being Jewish, they would have been aware of this psalm and, and other areas that talk about the greatness and the power of God. And then when you brought up the thing about the, them in the boat with Jesus on the uh, water, it's one thing when you know the God of heaven can do these things, but when you have a man standing in front of you that does these things, that's why it doesn't say that they were afraid, feared. Who is this that even the, well, we know who it is. It's God. And this man, Jesus, did it. That, I get chills when I think about that. If I was in front of him when he did that. That's a great point, Drew, because... Peter, Andrew, James, and John would have grown up learning this song. And when Jesus literally acts it out in front of them, he says the word and the waves are still, they're like, wait a minute. You just did the thing that only God does. Like, who is this? Uh, that's a great point. Yeah. Other thoughts or comments on this song? Scott? Uh, just for Jonathan closes this out, uh, Joe, uh, typed in here, Colossians 3, 1 through 12. Don't have time to read the whole text, but let's read uh, the first part of that. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will, will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, God, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Yeah, amen. One more comment just come in here real quick from PJ. He says, I know God has done wonders in my life, but I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to be thankful when I haven't been delivered from something, like a continued struggle like anger or immoral thoughts. Any thoughts on how to be thankful in the midst of struggles? That's a good question, PJ. Uh, Scott, go ahead. Yes. One thing is to remember where the responsibility for repentance lies. So, um, for instance, if I say, say I'm an alcoholic, and I say, I've been asking God to take away this sin from me, and he hasn't done it. You know, I'm waiting on him to do it. Uh, what God does is pays for our sins through, through Jesus Christ and calls us out of darkness in marvelous light and gives us a family in a fellowship where we can, you know, gain strength from each other, learn from each other's examples, confess to each other, be held accountable, et cetera, et cetera. What he calls on us to do is repent. Uh, and so um, when we're, if I'm dealing with anger, it's not that God hadn't got rid of my anger. It's that I, you know, in Ephesians, don't let the anger go down, the sun go down on your wrath. I need to bring that in submission uh, to God. Uh, one last thought is not every time a thought crosses our mind does it mean it is, it is sin. Uh, it's whether or not we choose to give in to temptation 
or not. Uh, if we start to say something and we wise up, like Proverbs says, we hesitate. James one, quick to you know, uh, hear, slow to speak. That's that's using self control. If we just react badly, that's not. Mm -hmm. I also think about this is maybe a little bit of a different scenario because if it's something sinful, we need to make sure not to blame God for that. But I think about Paul's thorn in the flesh as far as being in the yeah. midst of something hard, but still being thankful. Paul says, I'll, I'll boast about my weaknesses. Again, not sinful weaknesses there, but the hard things that happen to me, you know, persecutions, calamities, trials, all those things, because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Uh, God will often allow us to continue to go through a scenario. Even after we cry out to him, he may say, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness and allow us to continue to go through that hard thing. We can still look back and thank God for the deliverances he's given us in the past and know that whatever calamity we're going through right now, if we are crying out to God and we are repenting of our sin, he'll be with us and ultimately deliver us from that trial. Even if he allows it to go on longer, then we would like it for, for it to go on. Scott? One last thing, we're over time, but I do want to say this because I, I think it's important. Um, thankfulness, and I, I think all of us have sometimes felt very thankful. I think all of us at times feel sorry for ourselves. Um, and there's a difference between realizing, oh, what was me this is terrible what has happened to me job and just wallowing in self-pity uh but here's the point i want to make just like it's hard to be thankful if we're feeling sorry for ourselves it's hard to feel sorry for ourselves when we're being thankful and here's the illustration i want to give try to breathe out and breathe in at the same time You can only do one or the other. Uh, and it's not perfectly parallel, but to a large extent, if I'm just, if I'm getting overwhelmed with my own frustrations and starting to feel sorry for myself, if I will put on the brakes and put my mind on what? Think about things that are true, noble, pure, etc., and start being thankful, that reduces this. Whereas at the same time, if I stop thinking about what's true, righteous, pure, good, and think about what's rotten and fair, it's hard to be thankful. So it's, it's like a seesaw. You know, this side can't be up while this side's up. Whichever one we let go up, the other tends to go down. Yes. Amen. And we've got to remain thankful. Uh, counting our blessings keeps us from giving into despair. Yeah. all right well thank you all for sticking around with us for a few extra minutes um this week um, i hope that that's helpful for you all um thanks to the panelists and for all the uh attendance with your comments and your questions and different things we always appreciate seeing the questions and comments coming in as we're going through uh it gets us thinking and helps us and encourages us as well uh, if you have any other questions or anything, any particular Bible text you'd like us to go through or any um, larger questions, topical questions or things that you want us to discuss, um, you can let us know about that on BibleQuest.tv. 
uh, and we'll get to that. Or if you have a more private thing you want to discuss with one of us, uh, you can reach out to us and we'd be happy to talk with you on the phone or, or via Zoom or any other means. Um, you can just get with us, send us an email, and we'd be happy to be a help in whatever way we can. All right, we will, Lord willing, see you all next Tuesday at 2 p.m.